Please open your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah, the 8th chapter. This morning I'll be reading Isaiah eight sixteen to chapter 9, verse 2. Preliminary to our return to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. We begin with Isaiah 8, beginning at verse 19. When they say to you, Consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. And it will turn out that when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and curse their king and their god as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And we turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18. The Lord Jesus says now, No one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. May God add his blessing to our reading and understanding of this passage. With privilege always comes a corresponding measure of responsibility, doesn't it? And with the inexpressibly high privilege the Lord Jesus Christ confers by grace upon his church that of all the nations on earth of every passing age, we alone should be called the children of God. Along with that distinction comes a corresponding duty to become actually what we are even now in title. Our Heavenly Father simply delights to see the gospel fruit of godly obedience in us. And that's the main thing, His good pleasure. But it's not the only thing, because godly obedience to the word preached, that word now planted deeply within the honest and good heart that Jesus commends in verse 15, this fruit of obedience also 
stands as a public testimony to the perishing nations round about us. This testimony invites them to sit up and take notice. What else can Jesus mean when he tells his hearers, you are the light of the world? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you're the child of God. You who are adopted by grace through faith into his family, you now occupy a very significant place in the great scheme of things. Whatever your station in life, whatever your circumstances, the very fact that you've heard and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that by faith you've publicly, openly embraced him as your rightful king, these things constitute you a missionary. Do you want to enjoy fruitful work in his kingdom? Do you want to be a credible witness of his grace that is a believable one? Then the old ways have to be put off. They have to be put behind us as we put on our new identity in Christ. Just think of it. As the bridegroom he is, he sovereignly gives you a new name. And now under the direction of the Holy Spirit, you're building a new character to go along with that name. And the means of grace he offers us, his holy word and the sacraments and prayer, all these are at your disposal. So that in thought and word and deed, you might actually become so that you might become more like him in wisdom and in grace and in goodness and in love to think his thoughts, speak his words, even so much as is possible, carry on his work after him. That's what children do who honor their fathers. It's what brides do who love their husbands with the happy result that we should now be seen and known and understood to be a people set apart from all other peoples. The Christian testimony isn't a testimony that's born in word only, but in the day-to-day -day bearing of a family likeness. The parable of the soils we considered last time has this one main point that Jesus makes in verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Which is to say, watch it, see to it. Make the proper hearing of God's word your central focus whenever it's open to you, including, of course, right now, right this very moment. These six words that begin verse 18 are the whole practical point of the parable of the soils. It's the well-driven nail of the teaching, the clincher. Take care how you listen to the word of God. This word of the kingdom now come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because God's word isn't just glorious in itself as the glorious revelation 
of the glorious mind of the glorious God. It is that. And we should hear it for what it is, the revelation of truth, which is a beautiful thing in itself. But this glorious word of God that's now kindled in the mind and heart of the careful hearer does three things more, as our Lord Jesus, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ points out in our passage this morning. First of all, this word of God furnishes a practical purpose. Its practical purpose, surpassing all others, it bears light. It sheds light. The most wonderful thing about sunshine isn't that by it you can see the sun. The best thing about sunshine is that by it you can see everything else there is to see. Everything around you. That's just the nature of light. That's the wonder of it. It's the glory of it and the practical purpose of it. Giving the proper care and attention to God's word isn't just one more thing to do on the long list of things that already fill up your busy life. Hearing this word, hearing it well, isn't just another thing to do on a Sunday morning because it doesn't stand alone. It's not an end in itself. The function of the Word of God is to make other wonderful things possible. And a life lived without it, without the illumination that God's Word sheds abroad in our hearts, in our thinking, in our affections. This dark, dismal existence is just what we saw described in the closing lines of Isaiah's 8th chapter. We read them a moment ago. We face decisions of all sorts every day, don't we? And sometimes we need guidance. We need solid, authoritative guidance. Guidance from someone who knows which way is up. Someone who knows where the boundaries are. Where are we going to get this guidance, this solid, authoritative guidance when we need it? And on whose authority will it be? Will we get guidance from the Ouija board? The tarot cards, rolling the dice, flipping a coin, what kind of authority is that? Pay no attention to the mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter because the fact of the matter is they're in the dark about things. Whether matters of life or love or finances or whatever it is people consult them about, they're in the dark. They can't do anything but leave others in the dark because they have no light to offer. But God doesn't leave us in the dark. As soon as he tells us what not to do, he tells us what to do instead. And it sounds like the call of a trumpet to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. It's a hard-pressed, famished, angry life in which the sun never rises. This life that's devoid of the illuminating word of God. Out of darkness they came, in profound darkness they lived, and into further darkness they'll finally be driven. A life, on the other hand, that's illuminated by the word of God, 
We have abundant reason to celebrate it in the 27th Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? People afraid of the dark aren't so much afraid of the dark, of course, as they are of the things that might lie hidden in the dark, things that might harm you. And flipping a coin won't point those things out to you. The 119th Psalm, verse 105, spells courage for anyone who is afraid of the dark, because it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word spells courage for the careful hearer because it takes away all the uncertainty. God's word shows us life as it really is, not as we imagine and worry that it might be. In his word, we see not only the potential bumps in the road ahead of us, we also discover the amazing plans he has for us. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give us a future and a hope. And that's tremendously encouraging, isn't it? God's plans are for our good. So careful hearing of God's word serves the very practical purpose of shedding light on this business of living. Hearing the word of God with care, secondly, facilitates a more perfect transparency to life and its living. You see, the light that it shines into our thinking when we give the word of God the attention it deserves, that light is for our benefit. It helps us look more deeply into ourselves, helps us to understand our own condition, our own needs, our own moral deficits. God, the omniscient judge of all the earth, needs no further light than the light of his own nature. And he is light. When he looks at you and at me, he sees us not as we wish to be seen, not as we fancy ourselves to be. He sees us as we really and truly are. He sees through everything, every mask, every disguise, every pretext we might want to put up. Isn't that the point of the Apostle's warning to enter into God's rest in Hebrews 4, verses 12 and 13? For the word of God is living and active, he says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account. You may remember that awkward moment when the Samaritan woman of John's Gospel, chapter 4, suddenly realizes that this man sitting in front of her at the well knows everything about her that there is to be known. She had plenty in her background to cover up if she could, and suddenly she realizes she can't. She can't. This man knows it all. The 
point is that the Word of God shining into our lives exposes everything. There is simply nothing and nowhere left for us to hide. We're so prone as children of Adam to cover up the truth about ourselves, aren't we? Aren't you? In the beginning, our first parents in their righteousness were naked and not ashamed. And after all, why would they be ashamed? God made all things good. There's no ground for shame when there's no sin to be found. But now in our fallen world, and in our fallen characters, there is sin. And not just a little. Sin infects everything. Including our ability even to see it. Even when it's right in front of us. What little fraction of it we might by grace perceive, we suppress, we hide. God's word, when carefully heard, does us the immense favor of exposing it, not to God, but to ourselves. It tells us the plain, unvarnished truth about ourselves, which is the very same thing God has seen all along. So at last, by the light of his word, we can confess it and ask his freely offered gospel pardon in Christ and finally enter into the blessed rest of which the author of Hebrews writes in his fourth chapter. That rest of the soul, that peace with God, blessed peace, begins with the word of God piercing the tough, sin-infected soul and offering the cure. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So hearing the word with care furnishes the practical purpose of light-bearing, and it facilitates a more perfect transparency. That light shines into the human soul and uncovers every sin. Now, this is supremely uncomfortable, of course, but it's absolutely needful. Our natural condition has to be uncovered and exposed to ourselves if we're going to be cured of it. Christ welcomes sinners. That's the glorious hope of the gospel, but not unchanged sinners, not unrepented sinners. He welcomes sinners who've come to the point of seeing and hating our sin, hating the sin uncovered by the light of the word and finding in him the only cure available. You and I do well to take a good long look at ourselves under the searchlight of God's word because the third thing it does is to fasten to me personal accountability. It fastens to me personal accountability. If I, the sinner, die in my sin, it's no one's fault but my own, because I have no excuse for it, absolutely none. After all, look how completely the living God's provided for my salvation. He's done it all. He's done it all. First, at just exactly the right point of history, he sent a Savior to secure that promised salvation to everyone of every successive age who calls upon him in truth. 
And now 2,000 years later, as I'm brought into this world, possessed of the word of God in my own language, living in a land where I'm free to read it, both publicly and privately, free to be changed by it, for the word of God is not bound. The cure for my sin is at hand. It's available to me. Easily available. I know about it. Maybe I have 10 or 20 copies of it on my bookshelves at home in six or seven different versions, all of them readable, all of them understandable. The question is, do I read it? Do I take it into my soul, into my thinking, into my reasoning, into my relationships? Has the Word of God changed in the slightest degree how I sit in the house, how I walk by the way, how I lie down, how I rise up? God has done everything there is to be done to save my soul for time and for eternity, and now I am accountable for everything I know and everything I should know. Take care then how you hear says Jesus. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. So this morning, the word of God stands open before you. The purpose Blessing and burden of hearing it carefully, hearing it aright, are upon you. Now what? What application can we make of this doctrine? The answer is simple, really. If the lamp of your understanding has been lit by the careful hearing of God's word, now the thing to do is Shine. Just shine. That's what lamps do. It's what they're designed to do, what they're meant to do. Shine. The eighth chapter of John's Gospel, verse 12, shows us Jesus announcing himself to be the light of the world. Much earlier in his Gospel, John, in fact, had said that this eternal word of God is the light of men. The true light, which gives light to everyone coming into the world, and we beheld his glory. Jesus is the heaven-sent light of the world. God, that consuming fire of holiness, has now for us and for our salvation become light incarnate. And he kindles the light of biblical understanding in the minds of all the Father has given him. And then he turns it around and tells us in his Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. You are. And in him and because of him, it's true. You and I in Christ have been sovereignly appointed the light of the world and this dark and dismal, deeply depraved civilization in such desperate need of light is desperately in need of you. Of us. 
in Christ. Sadly, the Word of God is full of examples of people who heard God's Word, responded to it at some level, and somehow then failed to shine. Balaam, for instance. Gehazi. Judas Iscariot. Ananias. Sapphira. Simon Magus. And many more of those who, having been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. Their restoration, once again, to vital repentance is, according to the Apostle's own word in Hebrews 6, verse 4, impossible. Impossible. When the fire on the wick goes out, the sinner left in the dark remains wicked. Oh, beloved friends, take care then how you hear from the one who has not even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. And then with all that is within me, I implore you in Jesus and for Jesus, shine. It's the very radiance of God's glory that shines in the face of Christ. And it's that glorious face we behold in the word of God written, no less than Moses beheld it when his face shone. The Apostle Paul puts the matter this way to the Corinthians. Week after week, year after year, century after century, the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, hear the word of God without profit because their minds are hardened. For to this day, he says, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In the mirror of God's word, with open unveiled faces, we behold, as it were, the face of Jesus Christ, the very radiance of God's glory. And then as we make this word our careful study, an amazing thing happens. By the Spirit of God it does. That face you see every morning in the bathroom mirror, as you shave, as you brush your teeth, as you curl your hair, whatever it is you do. That person looking back at you begins to change. By the means of grace, ever so gradually, God renews your mind, transforms your face, your countenance, 
transforms your bearing, your demeanor. By the Spirit on the pattern of Christ Jesus, your Savior and King, He transforms you entirely before a watching world. It's Christ you see in the Word. And a little Christ, a Christian, you're becoming. You're the light of the world and beginning to shine. Amen.